Every time one of our baseballs went into her yard, Bobo would run over, pick it up, bring it to the back door, and he would scratch and whine till she opened it. When she saw the basket was filled with leaves, old, dry leaves. Oh, she cried in a rage, I am such a fool! Don't you know when you get something like that, you should take it, tie a string around it, and walk with it behind you carefully home. Jack said, agarro con una cosita. She said, that's right, tie a string around it. And Jack said, oh. <laughs> it's time for the apple seed, filled with stories for you and your family, and today a special episode dedicated to celebrating Labor Day with you. Since 2013, we've been bringing you tall tales and fairy tales and folk tales and personal and family tales and historical tales and more. I'm Sam Payne, your host. It's such a pleasure for me to be with you. Such a pleasure every time that you tune in to bring these stories into your homes and into your hearts. And who knows, maybe the stories that we bring you here on the show will spark memories and thoughts for you that you can share with the people that you love around the kitchen table or the living room. It's going to be a great hour with stories inspired Inspired by Labor Day, labor, and that bittersweet transition from summer to school. And now, we've spoken before on the Appleseed about the history of Labor Day. Started as a parade in New York, a demonstration of sorts organized to celebrate the contributions of the American worker and to lobby for improved working conditions. Now, thanks in part to those efforts, we now enjoy the benefits of the eight-hour work day, stuff like that, as well as a national holiday. Maybe you're enjoying, ironically, a day of no work on a day called Labor Day. Now, we always hope that the stories that we bring you here on the show can spark memories and thoughts for you that you can share with the people that you love as stories. And today's episode is full of that kind of stuff. You're going to hear from the great storyteller Dan Kedding, uh, Stephanie Beneteau, Antonio Sacre, Diane Ferlat, and even members of our own Appleseed team. In fact, we're going to begin with a little piece from Trent Horton, one of our assistant producers. We just asked some of of our Appleseed family to share some Labor Day memories, end of summer memories. And throughout the hour, we'll bring you a couple of those memories. Here's Trent, who reminisces here about one of his favorite jobs. So just before I started school, I wanted to save up some money so I could pay for all the various costs of college. And I began working various short-term jobs like lawn care and, and packing in a warehouse. But in that short period, I'm, I was actually surprised that I ended up having one of my favorite jobs to date. So um, Salt Lake City, near where I live in Utah, has, or at least it had at the time, a program where the city would pay for trees to be planted in people's park strips in order to beautify the city. And uh, my dad happened to know the guy who was contracted to do that. And I actually ended up working for him planting trees. And, you know, it was, it was hard work. We'd get up before the sun was up. We'd go load up a trailer full of trees. And these were already fairly well-grown trees. They were big and heavy. And we often had to use a tractor to load them up into the trailer. And we'd drive them around the city. We'd go to the designated spots, dig a hole about five feet in diameter, and then load the tree into the hole, refill it, water it, etc. And every day I generally went home with, with like a backache, my muscles were super sore. I was often just super exhausted because from, from the hard labor. Um, but that, that hard labor wasn't the reason it was one of my favorite jobs. It was actually because every time we'd leave a yard, you know, it was, it was better than when we got there. We'd arrive to some dry, grassy park strip, 
dig a hole. But then when we'd leave, there was a young tree in its way, in, in our wake, and I can actually still drive through the, the streets of Salt Lake and and see those same trees that I've helped plant that are bigger now. They're, they're, their leaves are full and green and really pretty. And so it's just very satisfying to, to see the fruits of, of something that I worked so hard to do. Um, and it was, it's very rewarding. I haven't had very many other jobs where I could, you know, direct, so directly see how my efforts were improving the world around me. And that doesn't mean I haven't, you know, tried to do other things to improve the world, but, um, but it was refreshing to see so, such direct results. And so as, as Labor Day kind of rolls around, I, I think about, um, you know, all those who have worked to make the world a better place. And some people, you know, work tirelessly for years to try and, and, and do good, and they don't see it for a long time. But, you know, I think eventually their hard work will be appreciated. And so, you know, we pay attention to, to the good in the world. Trent Horton, one of our assistant producers, with a little memory about one of his favorite jobs, a Labor Day memory to kick us off today. And up next, a story from the Chicago storyteller Dan Kedding about a childhood pastime in which many a child has participated over the years, me included, maybe you included, talking about baseball. What did you do whenever a baseball of yours sailed over a neighbor's fence? Did you give up? Did you buy a new one? Or did you strike up the courage to go knock on your neighbor's door? and get it back in this summertime story called Bobo and the Baseballs. A young Dan Kedding strikes a deal with his scary neighbor to earn back his lost baseballs. So it's not only a summertime story, but a little work story, too. Here it is, Bobo and the Baseballs from Dan Kedding on the Appleseed. Baseball was our game. We played in the schoolyard, in vacant lots, in the street and in the alleys. No, I was really lucky, because for many years there was a vacant lot right next to our house, and that lot opened up right to the top of the alley, right where it forms a T. And we played baseball there all the time. Even in the winter we played baseball. We painted the baseballs blue and red so we could find them in the snow. I remember going up to bat, wearing mittens, and a stocking cap, and heavy boots. Now, when we played baseball in the alley, we had to be careful. If we hit a fly ball to the right, it was fine because the yards on the right side of the alley either had one of us living there or a friendly neighbor. But if we hit it too far on the left, we had a problem. You see, the second house on the left had a dog living in the yard, and its name was Bobo, and Bobo belonged to Mrs. Kelly. Now, Bobo wasn't your normal dog. He was an Irish wolfhound, the tallest breed of dog in the whole world. Mrs. Kelly, she was an older woman, a widow with no children, who lived alone with Bobo as her only companion. Every time one of our baseballs went into her yard, Bobo would run over, pick it up, bring it to the back door, and he would scratch and whine till she opened it. Then she would look at him and say, What a good boy, bringing me a gift. Come in and get a treat and Bobo would disappear into the house with our ball. Soon the curtains would part, and the ball would appear on the windowsill with all the other dozens and dozens and dozens of baseballs that sat in the back porch and kitchen windowsills 
like trophies. The game was over. Baseballs weren't cheap, and none of us came from wealthy families. One day I hit a fly ball, and it should have cleared Mrs. Kelly's yard, but it hit the power line, and it almost fell into Bobo's mouth. We all just stood there, knowing the game was over for the day. But suddenly I spoke up, and I said, I'm going to get the baseball back. Come on, Davy. Now, Davy was my best friend, and normally he did everything I did and went everywhere I went, but I had crossed the line this time. You see, Davy was scared of dogs, any size, any breed, and with Bobo we were talking about a walking nightmare for Davy. He shook his head no. I said, well, don't worry, we'll go to the front door. Still, he refused. I'll stand between you and the dog. Finally, he agreed. We walked to the front of Mrs. Kelly's house and climbed the steps to her door, and we knocked. We could hear what sounded like a herd of bulls racing through the house towards the door, and I could see Davy's face turning white. Then we heard the lock turn, and there was Mrs. Kelly, slender and slight with graying hair, and there was Bobo looking us right in the eye, and he was on all fours. Daniel, David, what can I do for you? You ever notice how when adults really don't want to see you, they always use your full name? I looked back at her and I said, Mrs. Kelly, may we please have our baseball back? Well, she stared at me and then at Davy, and then she paused for a moment. Tomorrow is Saturday. Meet me behind the garage at 10 a.m. Bring two friends. She closed the door. As we walked down the steps, I said, I wonder what she wants to do with us tomorrow. Davy was sure she was going to feed us to the dog. Saturday morning came, and the four of us were waiting outside Mrs. Kelly's garage door. It opened, and there she stood with Bobo inside the messiest garage I've ever seen. Stacks of old papers and magazines, old paint cans, cardboard boxes, trash everywhere. Mrs. Kelly looked at us and she said, If you boys help me clean up this garage, I'll give each of you one baseball. It was a deal. We cleaned all day, and when we were finished, the trash was stacked outside and the garage was as neat as a pin. From then on, we hardly ever bought a new baseball. Whenever we needed one, we just knocked on Mrs. Kelly's door and asked for a chore. We shoveled snow and raked leaves, mowed the grass, washed windows, anything she needed. All our mothers were envious. The woman who had no children now had more than enough. One day, Davy and I went to the door and we knocked. She came to the door, but she was all wrapped up in a big robe. I said, Mrs. Kelly, you need for us to do anything. And she said, oh, don't get too close, boys. I have a very bad cold. Oh, I said, you want us to go to the grocery store, to the pharmacy for you? No, no, I'm fine, but there is one thing you could do. Because of this cold, I haven't had a chance to give Bobo a good walk. Could you walk him around the block a few times? I said, sure. Behind me, I could feel Davy's knuckles in my ribs. But then I said, you know, he's really too big for just one of us. I'm afraid that he could really kind of take off on us. She said, oh, no, don't worry about it. I'll give you two leashes, and you can both hold on at the same time. So she came back with two big leather leashes, which she attached to his collar. We took the other ends, and we walked down the steps. She closed the door behind us. At the bottom of the steps, I stopped and turned to Davy. You know, this dog means everything to her. I don't know what I'd ever say to her if anything happened to Bobo. 
You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to tie this end of the leash to my wrist. Davy decided to do the same, and we started down the block walking Bobo. Now, Mrs. Kelly, probably because she was ill, had forgotten to tell us one thing. Bobo's arch enemy, the Cocker Spaniel, lived at the end of the block. Well, that dog came down the front steps, stood in the middle of the sidewalk, took one look at Bobo and <coughs> Bobo reared up on his hind legs and went roof and took off. Davy and I couldn't stop him. It was really as if we weren't even there. He dragged us down the sidewalk, chasing that cocker spaniel. We would have gone on for blocks if it wasn't for the turn. See, when he hit the turn, Davy kind of swung out and Davy's head hit the tree and got lodged there. That pulled Bobo to an abrupt stop. We calmed Bobo down and walked him around the block a couple times. And by the time we got back to Mrs. Kelly's, the shiner was just starting to blossom on Davy's face. She gave us each a baseball, and as we walked home, he grumbled all the way, saying he should have at least gotten two for that black eye. Well, we started to grow up, and pretty soon we were too old to play baseball in the alleys. And so we taught the next generation of kids that if the baseball went in her yard, or they needed a new baseball, just to knock on her door and do a chore for her. We moved away. I went to a different school, then a different high school, and then I went on to college. And then after college, I became a school teacher. And I remember one weekend I wanted to go back to the old neighborhood, and so I drove back. And I walked around, saw a few friends. We had all grown older. We talked about the old times. As I passed by Mrs. Kelly's house, I heard this bark from inside. Roof! Now I knew it couldn't be the same dog. But I also knew that Mrs. Kelly always had Irish wolfhounds, and she always named them Bobo. She'd had two dogs when I had lived there. I had to know, was she still there? I walked up the steps and I knocked on the door, and I heard that freight train coming through the house, and then I heard the tap of a cane. The lock was pushed back, and the door opened, and there she was, a little smaller, a little more bent over, a little more gray, and she looked up through her thick glasses at me, and she said, Well, Daniel, have you come to get a baseball? And I smiled at her and I said, Indeed I have, Mrs. Kelly. Indeed I have. And I went inside and we had coffee and cookies and we talked and laughed. And I petted the big dog. And then I washed the kitchen windows. And when I left her, she gave me a baseball. Dan Ketting with Bobo and the Baseballs. That story brings back memories from my own childhood. And chances are, it might take you back to yours as well. Do you have any stories about having to work for something you really wanted or perhaps overcoming a fear or just playing baseball? We'd love to hear those memories. If you're willing to share, write to us at theappleseed at byu.edu. We'd love to hear from you. That story was a good beginning to a good hour together. And coming up in a moment, you're going to hear from Stephanie Beneteau, Antonio Sacre, Diane Ferlat, and even a few more of our Appleseed family members here on the show. I'm Sam Payne. 
You're listening to The Appleseed. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back to The Appleseed. Here's Sam Payne. It's such a pleasure to be with you on today's episode of The Appleseed, a special episode in celebration of Labor Day. And a moment ago, you heard Dan Ketting's story, Bobo and the Baseballs, as well as kind of a Labor Day memory from one of our assistant producers about planting trees. And up next, a fairy tale from Canadian storyteller Stephanie Beneteau. She shares the story of a young girl who has to work hard every day to help support her struggling family. And this piece is full of wonderful music and sound effects, even a little magic, from a collection of stories all about young female heroes. Here's a tale called The Wood Maiden on the Appleseed. There once was a little girl named Batushka who lived with her mother in a tumble-down cottage beside a wood. Her father had died when she was just a baby, and she and her mother were very poor. All they owned were two goats who gave them milk and cheese. By the time Batushka was five years old, she had to help her mother by spinning flax into thread, which they sold at market on Saturdays. Batushka's life was hard, and her mother was often worried and harsh with her. There was no time for playing and no toys to play with. But Batushka was a merry little girl, and she found joy in every little thing, despite their great poverty. Every morning, Batushka's mother would pack a piece of bread and a basket, along with a spindle and some flax. Then, Batushka would walk the goats along the little path that led to the clearing in the forest. There, the grass was especially sweet and luscious, and Batushka would let the goats graze while she spun the flax into thread, humming and singing as she worked. She would work hard all morning. At noon, when the sun was high overhead, she would eat her bread. Then she would stand up and bow to her goats. Ladies, she would say, now I will dance. (laughs) For there was one thing Batushka loved more than anything, and it was dancing. She would jump and spin around the clearing, laughing out loud at the joy of it. Sometimes she dressed herself in leaves and flowers, pretending she was a lady at a ball, and the goats were her servants. But always, when she was finished playing, she would sit down again to her spinning and work until sunset, and her mother never had cause to complain that the work was not done. One day, just as Batushka was finishing her piece of bread, she heard a voice. Do you like to dance then, child? Looking up, she saw a most beautiful lady standing before her. She had long golden hair to her waist. She was wearing a white dress fine as a spider web, and she had a garland of flowers on her head. Batushka was frightened. She squeezed her eyes tightly shut, but when she opened them, the lady was still there, smiling so sweetly that Batushka forgot to be scared. Oh yes, she said, I love to dance more than anything in the world. Then dance with me, little one, said the lady. So Batushka stood up, and all at once the lady clapped, and she heard the most beautiful music coming from the trees. (laughs) 
The two danced and danced and never had Batushka felt so light. It seemed she was floating on air, spinning and laughing through the clearing. They danced all afternoon, yet Batushka did not feel tired. All at once the music stopped and the lady disappeared as quickly as she had come. Batushka saw the sun was setting. She looked down at the grass where her spinning lay unfinished. Oh, how cross mother will be, she whispered. She picked up her basket and walked quietly home, herding the goats in front of her. When she got home, she hid her unspun flax under her bed, thinking she would make up tomorrow for what she had not finished today. Her mother was tired and did not ask for the thread, and Batushka went to bed determined to work very hard the next day. The next morning she ran to the wood and worked hard all morning. I will not have lunch today, she thought, as the sun rose high in the sky. But just then, there was the beautiful lady before her again. Will you dance, child? Oh, forgive me, lady, but I must not dance today, for I have to make up for the spinning I didn't do yesterday or my mother will be cross. Come now, child, the spinning will get done somehow, said the lady. And she smiled and held out her hand. Oh, surely it won't matter if I just dance a bit, thought Batushka. So she stood up, and the lady pulled her into the middle of the clearing and clapped her hands. <laughs> and the music was even sweeter than the day before. Batushka twirled around the clearing, laughing and breathless, until all of a sudden, the music stopped. The lady disappeared and Batushka saw that the sun was setting in the west. Oh no, she cried as she saw her unfinished spinning. Oh, mother will never forgive me. She won't, she won't. I've been so bad. She gathered up her things and walked sadly home, and even her goats wondered why their mistress did not sing as she usually did. Her mother was in the kitchen, so Batushka hid the unspun flax in the barn with the goats. She offered to help bring in the wood, and her mother was too tired to ask for the thread. The next morning, Batushka rose even earlier than usual. She walked quickly to the wood and spun all morning. But when the sun was high in the sky, there was the lady before her again. Will you dance, child? she asked in her sweet voice. No, lady, I must not dance, cried Batushka. For two days I have not spun, and tomorrow is market day. If I have no thread to sell, we will have nothing to eat. I, I must not dance. Child, I will help you with your spinning if you just dance with me a little, said the lady. And Batushka, Batushka, who so loved to dance well, she felt her feet begin to tap, and she slowly stood up, and before she knew it, she was dancing around and around the clearing, her hair flying out behind her, her eyes shining, laughing and singing as she went. All afternoon she danced and never, never had she felt so light and happy. But all of a sudden, she saw the sun was about to set and she stopped and she cried out, Oh no, I've done it again and we will have nothing to sell at market and we will starve and she started to cry. Give me your basket, child, said the lady. I will give you something that will make up for the unspun thread. And she took Batushka's basket and disappeared into the wood. Soon she was back. Take this, she said. 
giving Batushka the covered basket. But remember, do not lift the lid until you are home. Do not lift the lid until you are home. And as she spoke, she disappeared. Batushka began walking home, but the basket was light, so light. What could possibly be inside? Batushka thought she should look before she showed it to her mother, so she took a teeny little peek. And you can imagine how she felt when she saw the basket was filled with leaves, old, dry leaves. Oh, she cried in a rage, I am such a fool! And she threw the basket angrily on the ground, spilling half the leaves on the path. She started running home, but then thought her mother would be even more upset if she came home without the basket. So she went back to get it. Whatever is the matter, asked her mother in surprise when Batushka stormed into the house, her hair a mess and tears running down her cheeks. And Batushka told her everything, all about the beautiful lady and the dancing and how she had not done her spinning. But to her surprise, her mother was not angry. Why, child, she said excitedly, that must be a wood maiden you danced with. They come out to dance every day at noon. Lucky you're not a little boy, because they sometimes dance little boys to death. But they have a fondness for girls and often give them rich gifts. Did she not give you anything? Just a basket full of old leaves, said Batushka, and I threw half of them away. But her mother said, perhaps there is something hidden underneath the leaves. And she opened the basket and let out a little scream. Ah! For lo and behold, the leaves had all turned to gold. Batushka ran back down the path to get the other leaves she'd thrown away. But there they were, just old dry leaves on the path. Still, there were enough gold leaves that Batushka's mother bought a small farm with two cows and some sheep, and they had plenty of food, and Batushka never had to spin again. Her mother made her a beautiful dress of white cloth, fine as a spiderweb, decorated with green ribbons. And sometimes she let Batushka wear the dress to go back to the clearing, where Batushka would put flowers in her hair and dance all afternoon. Batushka looked and looked for the wood maiden. Sometimes she thought she would trade her pretty dress and the cows too if she could just dance with the wood maiden one more time. But though she lived to be very old, she never did see the wood maiden again. Stephanie Beneteau with The Wood Maiden, a story filled with magic and music and even a little bit of labor, which makes it perfect for today's hour on The Appleseed. Stephanie is a bilingual storyteller. She shares her storytelling talents in both English and French. And when we return in just a moment, you're going to hear a story from another bilingual storyteller, Antonio Sacre. You'll also hear from Diane Ferlat and more. You're listening to The Appleseed. I'm Sam Payne. You're listening to The Appleseed. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back to The Appleseed. Here's Sam Payne. 
It's such a pleasure for me to be with you here on the Apple Seed. If you're just joining us, a moment ago you heard the Wood Maiden, a story about magical help for a hardworking girl from Stephanie Benito. That was from a collection of stories called Dreaming Tall, Stories for Growing Girls. And thanks for joining us for today's special Labor Day episode of the Apple Seed. And in just a minute you're going to hear a, a famous Jack tale told by the wonderful bilingual Storyteller Antonio Sacre's father hails from Cuba. And speaking of points overseas, here's a little memory from Samantha Danes, one of our assistant producers. You might assume that everyone everywhere celebrates Labor Day, but it was new to Samantha. Here's her memory here on the Appleseed. I grew up overseas, so we didn't have or celebrate Labor Day. My family lived in Singapore for 10 years, and we attended a school that usually began midway through August. Singapore doesn't have Labor Day as a holiday, so it wasn't until I moved to the States when I was 18 that I first heard about it. I remember asking my friend, what's that? What's Labor Day? Someone also told me that you can't wear white after Labor Day, and that was weird too. What? I can't wear white? That was definitely strange. But there's one thing I can relate to, and that's the idea of coming home at the end of the summer and being ready to start the new school year. When I was growing up, we would go to America in the summer so we could visit family. That's where my parents were originally from. And we come back to Singapore at the end of the summer. After two and a half months of being gone, we'd walk into the family room and I'd see the red sofas just like I remembered them. I would lie down on the couch and look around the room and Everything was just the way I remembered it. It had been untouched over the past two and a half months. The weather was hot and muggy like I remembered. We had my favorite plates again with the chickens on them. My bed was distinctly mine with the pillow that I loved. The entire summer while I was gone, I could never find a single pillow with the exact perfect fluffiness as that one. It was the best feeling ever to come home, and I still remember that. There are some feelings we can't really put words to emotions like happy or sad or joyful, this is something different. It might be my favorite feeling I've ever felt. The feeling of coming home, back home to my place, my things, back home, the place where I belong. Appleseed assistant producer Samantha Danes with a memory of returning home from a place where a thing like Labor Day was an innovation. Sometimes we take for granted the idea that the world everywhere is the same world that we see and experience, and sometimes it takes getting out of our own little world to discover what the rest of the world is like. And now, here's that Jack tale from Antonio Sacre we promised you. You've heard of Jack tales, right? Jack and the Beanstalk, Jack the Giant Killer. Jack is the hero of many a tale, and sometimes he uses his wits to save the day. Other times it's just dumb luck, but there's usually some element of work involved to accomplish whatever goal Jack has in a Jack tale. However, the Jack in this story is rather lazy and frankly not too bright, but like in most Jack tales, that doesn't stop him from saving the day. Here's the story, simply called Jack, told for you by Antonio Sacre, here on The Appleseed. Once upon a time, there was a boy named Jack. And Jack was boggle, which means he was very lazy. All he liked to do was stand on his porch and watch the wind go by. 
Wow. Wow. One day his mamá came out and said, Jack, no tenemos comida en la casa. Tienes que trabajar. She said, Jack, we don't have any food to eat. You need to get yourself a job. And Jack said, Wow. Okay, which is Spanish for okay. And Jack went looking for work. And he walked and he walked until he met a farmer. That farmer had a sign. That sign said, Alguien para trabajar aquí para mí. Which when you turn that sign around and translate it, means worker, needed. Jack said, that's me. And Jack went to work. Ordeñando las vacas. Milking the cows. He walked up to that cow. You. 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 Wow. Then he went back to the barn, grabbed a great big broom, and began to sweep out that barn. Sweep. 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 You get pissed. Then he went outside and began to agarrar los mangos. Pick the mangos. Mangos is a delicious fruit that is very soft. Have you ever eaten a mango? I love mangoes. He went out and he began to agarrar los mangos. Pick the mangos and he would eat some of them too. Yum. The farmer came out and said, Jack, hiciste muy bien, which means you did a good job. For that, I'm going to give you los mangos que comiste, those mangos that you ate, and your very own silver coin. Jack took that silver coin. He said, oh, gracias, which means thank you. And he started walking with it home. Wow. As he was walking home, he had to cross over a puente, a little bridge, and underneath that puente was a riocito, a little river. And in that riocito were pescaditos swimming around. The only thing that Jack liked better than big silver coins were little tiny silver fish. He said, Que bonito los pescaditos. And the coin slid out of his hand, kerplook, and Jack said, Oh, oh. The water took that coin downstream. When he went home, his mamá said, Jack, ¿encontraste trabajo? Did you find work? And Jack said, Sí, which means, yes. She said, ay, qué bueno, esta noche vamos a comer arroz, arroz, arroz. Nos gusta comer arroz, which means, we love to eat rice. Give me the money, Jack. Jack said, estaba mirando los pescaditos, se cayó, kerplok, y, oh, oh. She said, perro que lo tuyo, muchacho, which means, what's the matter with you, boy? She said, don't you know when you get something like that, you should take it, put it in your pocket, and walk with it home. Jack said, Pongo en el bolsillo, mama? She said, that's right, put it in your pocket. And Jack said, Oh. The next day, Jack went to work ordeñando las vacas, milking the cows. Yip, 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 yip. Wow. And sweeping out the barn, barriendo el granero. Sweep. Sweep. Y agarrando los mangos and eating them too. Yum. The farmer came out and said, Jack, hiciste muy bien, which means you did a good job. For that, I'm going to give you los mangos que comiste, those mangos that you ate, and your very own cubo de sidra. Jack looked down, picked up that great big pail full of sidra, which is a delicious apple cider drink, and he said, oh, Gracias. And he remembered what his mother said. Put it in your pocket and walk with it home. 
Slush, 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 splash. When he got home, his mama said, Jack, ¿encontraste trabajo? Did you find work? Jack said, sí. She said, ay, qué bueno. Tonight, we're gonna eat. Arroz, arroz, arroz. Nos gusta comer arroz. Give me the money, Jack. Jack. Uh-oh. She said, perro que lo tuyo, muchacho. Which means, what's the matter with you? She said, don't you know when you get something like that, you should take it, put it on your head, and walk with it carefully home. Jack said, Yo pongo arriba de la cabeza, mamá. She said, that's right. Put it on your head. And Jack said, oh. The next day, Jack went to work ordeñando las vacas, milking the cows. Yip, 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 yip. Wow. Y limpiando el granero. Sweep. 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 Que peste. Y agarrando los mangos and eating them, too. Mmm. The farmer came out and said, Jack, hiciste muy bien, which means you did a good job. For that, I'm going to give you los mangos que comiste, those mangos that you ate, and your very own pedazo de flan. Jack took that great big piece of flan. He remembered what his mother said. Put it on his head. Now flan on a hot day will definitely melt. And that flan began to melt into his hair. And it oozed down his neck. And it dripped down his back. And it slid into his calzoncillos, which are his underwear. When he got home, his mama said, Jack, ¿encontraste trabajo? Did you find work? Jack said, sí. She said, ay, qué bueno. Tonight, we're going to eat. Arroz, arroz, arroz. Nos gusta comer arroz. Give me the money, Jack. Jack. Oh. Oh. Uh. Oh, he said, oh boy. She said, perro que lo tuyo, muchacho. Don't you know when you get something like that, you should wrap it in leaves, cool it in the water until it gets hard, and run with it home. Jack said, pongo en el agua hasta que se pone frío, mamá? She said, that's right, cool it in the water. Jack said, oh. The next day, Jack went to work. Milking the cows. Goop, 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 goop. Wow. He's sweeping out the barn. Sweep, sweep. Sweep, que peste. Y agarrando los mangos, picking the mangos, and eating some of them too. The farmer came out and said, Jack, hiciste muy bien. Which means, you did a good job. For that, I'm going to give you los mangos que comiste. Those mangos that you ate. And your very own gatito. Jack took that little tiny kitty cat. He remembered what his mother said. It's okay, the cat doesn't die. But as soon as Jack tried to put that cat in the water, out came his claws. Scratched up Jack in his arms and Jack said, Ouch! He went home. His mama said, Jack, ¿encontraste trabajo? Jack said, Sí. She said, Ay, qué bueno. Tonight, we're gonna eat. Arroz, arroz, arroz Nos gusta comer arroz Give me the money, Jack Jack held up that drippy cat Showed his scratchy arms And he said, ouch She said, perro que lo tuyo, muchacho Don't you know when you get something like that You should take it, tie a string around it And walk with it behind you carefully home Jack said, agarro con una cosita She said, that's right, tie a string around it And Jack said, oh The next day, Jack went to work milking the cows. Goop, 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 goop. Wow. Y barriando el granero. 
Sweep. 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 You get busted. Y agarrando los mangos and eating some of them too. The farmer came out and said, Jack, hiciste muy bien. Which means, you did a good job. For that, I'm going to give you los mangos que comiste. Those mangos that you ate. And your very own pedazo de lechón. Jack took that great big piece of lechón. Lechón is a delicious marinated pork. It's so tasty. He took that marinated pork and he remembered what his mother said. He tied a string around it and walked with it behind him home. That meat got really dirty. Y los perros vinieron y se jamaron el lechón, which is Cuban for saying, Los perros vinieron y se comieron el jamón, which is Spanish for saying, The dogs came and ate the meat, and all that was left was a hueso de lechón sin carne nada. All that was left was a ham bone with no meat on it at all. Jack looked down at that empty bone and he said, Oh boy. He went home. His mama said, Jack, did you find work? Jack said, si. Sí. She said, ay, que bueno. Tonight we're going to eat. Arroz, arroz, arroz. Nos gusta comer arroz. Give me the money, Jack. Jack looked down at that empty bone with that string on it and he said, oh boy. She said, perro que lo tuyo, muchacho. Don't you know when you get something like that, you should put it on your shoulders and walk with it home? Jack said, pongo en los hombros, mama? She said, that's right. Put it on your shoulders. And Jack said, Oh, the next day Jack went to work milking the cows. Goop, 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 goop. Wow. Y limpiando el granero. Sweep, sweep. You que peste. Y agarrando los mangos, picking the mangos and eating some of them too. Mm, yum. The farmer came out and said, Jack, hiciste muy bien. Which means, you did a good job. For that, I'm going to give you los mangos que comiste, those mangos that you ate, and your very own burro. Jack looked at that great big donkey. He said, wow. But he remembered what his mother said. So he got underneath that donkey. He put the donkey's right leg on his right shoulder, the donkey's left leg on his left shoulder. La cabeza del burro, the donkey's head, was right on top of Jack's head. Jack turned around to the farmer. He said, Gracias. And he started walking with that burro. Well, it was a hot day, and that burro didn't like being carried any more than Jack liked carrying that burro. And a burro on a hot day gets this sort of thick slobber working on his mouth and tongue. Every now and then the donkey would say, right in Jack's ear, and Jack would look up and say, hee-haw yourself. And the donkey would let go with a great big slab of burro slobber. And this happened over and over hasta que Jack tenía una gorra de saliva de burro que estaba dripando allí en su carra and he could barely see until Jack had on a baseball cap of burro slobber that dripped down into his eyelashes, his nose hairs, and his mouth. Well, it just so happened that on his way home, he passed by the house of the dueño de la fábrica, of the factory owner. The factory owner was very rich, and he had a daughter who was about eight or nine years old, and she cried for two years straight. Nobody knew why she was so sad, but the factory owner had said if anyone could make her laugh, that person would get four bags of gold. Now, Jack was walking underneath her balcony with the donkey on his back, una gorra de saliva on his head. The donkey was saying, Jack was saying, hee-haw, you're 
And she was on the balcony crying. And the dueño de la fábrica, the factory owner, hadn't heard his daughter laugh. He came running downstairs. He said, Ay, mi hija, you're laughing. That's beautiful. What is so funny? Oh, he said, Jack, because everyone knew Jack. He said, Jack, gracias. You made my daughter laugh. For that, I'm going to give you four bags of gold. Jack said, ay, que bueno. The factory owner came back with those four bags, and Jack, who had figured things out by now, tied those bags together and threw them on the back of the burro. He said, goodbye, dueño de la fábrica. Goodbye, hija de dueño de fábrica. Which means, goodbye, factory owner. Goodbye, daughter of the factory owner. I hope you keep on laughing. And then Jack got underneath that burro and walked with it home. His mama was worried because Jack was so late coming home from work. When she saw him coming up the path to their house, she said, Ay, Jack, pero que lo tuyo. But when she saw those four bags of gold, she said, Ay, que bueno. Esta noche si vamos a comer. Arroz, arroz, arroz. Nos gusta comer arroz. And that is my grandmother's and my version of Jack, su mama, and the slobbering burro. Antonio Sacre with a story called Jack from a collection of tales called Looking for Papito, family stories from Latin America. I love that story because it proves that all it takes sometimes is a little food to motivate you to do your work. And in this next memory from our audio engineer, Carly Robison, she shares how a particular sweet helped her make the bittersweet transition from summer to school when she was a kid. Growing up, I loved summer. There was no time I enjoyed more than just being outside in the sun. From riding bikes to swimming, I was in my element just being outside. When the summer was coming to a close and school was just around the corner, I would consider different ways I could make the time last. I just wanted to stretch out those last few weeks, and I wished that it would never end. However, just like clockwork, it would end. The summer was gone, and I would go back to school. Beginnings are usually exciting for everyone, but I had just a hard time saying goodbye to those sweet moments. Although I would eventually adjust to my new schedule and love my classes, school always seemed to be too sour in the beginning. However, there was one thing that would always help me to get over the ending of summer. For as long as I can remember, my mom has made a batch of her homemade chocolate chip cookies on my first day back to school. Although it was sad, I could look forward to warm, gooey cookies awaiting my arrival when I came home, always just out of the oven. We would enjoy these cookies as a family, come together, and we would talk about all of our first days. As I have four older siblings, this was always a time I really enjoyed and cherished. I don't remember now most of my first days of school, but I do remember the time we spent together and the laughs we shared on those cookies and enjoying those cookies. This seemed to make the sour ending of summer a little more sweet. 
Carly Robinson, our audio engineer, with a memory about how a particular suite helped her make the bittersweet transition from summer to school when she was a kid. And up next, one of the most famous stories about work that there is. A story first collected by Mary Dodge back in 1874 for St. Nicholas Magazine, a story she said her mother used to tell her to emphasize the importance of hard work. The story of a little red hen. Here's a toe-tapping version of the story from Diane Ferlat and her musical sidekick, Eric Pearson. It's a pleasure for us to bring it to you on the Appleseed. One fine, fine morning, there was the little red hen going down the lane. When she finds a little grain of wheat on the ground. And she said, Ooh, who will help me plant the wheat? Not I, said the dog. Not I, said the cat. Not I, said the pig. Well, 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 I'll do, do it myself. And she did. She took that little grain of wheat, scratched up some dirt, put it in the ground, and stomped it down. And with the sun shining and the rain falling, pretty soon a little leaf popped up. And that wheat began to go taller and taller and taller and taller and taller. And the little red hen said, Who will help me cut the wheat? Not I said the dog, not I said the cat, not I said the pig. And she did. She did. She cut and she cut and she cut, cut, cut. She cut and she cut and she cut, cut, cut. She cut and she cut and she cut, cut, cut. Then she said, Who will help me stack the wheat? Not I said the dog. Not I said the cat. Not I said the pig. And she did. She began to stack that wheat in ten little piles. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Ten little piles all in a row. Then she said, who will help me take it to the mill? Not I said the dog. Not I said the cat. Not I said the pig. And she did. She put that wheat on the back of her wagon and headed on down the lane to the mill by herself. When she got to the mill, they took that wheat and ground it into flour, put the flour in the sack, put the sack on the wagon, and she headed on home down the lane. When she got home, she said, who will help me make the bread? Not I said the dog, not I said the cat, not I said the pig. Well, 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 I'll do it myself. And she did. She took that flour and put it in a bowl and she made up some nice bread. And she began to 
squeezed the dough with her hands. And as she squeezed the dough, she said, This is the way we make the bread, make the bread, make the bread. This is the way we make the bread so early in the morning. This is the way we make the bread, make the bread, make the bread. This is the way we make the bread so early in the morning. She took that dough and flipped it over and began to squeeze again. Come on. This is the way we make the bread, make the bread, make the bread. This is the way we make the bread so early in the morning. Then she took that dough and put it in her pan, put that pan in the oven, and she went to do some housework. But pretty soon, that bread was smelling so good, that smell filled up the whole room. And that smell, it went out the window, all the way down to the dog's house. house, all the way down to the cat's house, cat's house, all the way down to the pig's, pig's house. Pig's house. And little red hen said, mm, "Smell like my bread is done." She opened the oven, took the bread out, and then turned the oven off. And she said, "My, my, my! Who will help me eat the bread?" I will say the dog, I will say the cat, I will say the pig. No, you won't. I'll eat it myself. And she did. She ate every crumb. But the next time, the dog and the cat and the pig heard someone say, "Who will help me?" You better believe they thought twice because it's twice as nice. So the next time you're at home or you're at school and you hear anyone say, "Who will help me?" You better think twice and remember it's twice as nice. I will say the dog. I will say the cat. I will say the pig. Well, well, well. Did you hear that? That's the story of the little red hen. A terrific version of the story of the little red hen from Diane Ferlat and her musical partner Eric Pearson. Such a pleasure to bring that tale to you. We're going to wrap up today with a little piece from our assistant producer Kendra Hanna. When she thinks of Labor Day, she's reminded of a favorite childhood hangout. Here's Kendra on the apple seat. When I was a kid, Labor Day was kind of a bittersweet holiday for me. On the one hand, it meant that we were starting a new school year, which was always exciting, but it also meant that I had to say a temporary goodbye to the forest behind my house, where I spent my summer days. Whenever I think about that forest, I can picture it so vividly. I can smell the damp earth and feel the way the decomposing wood crumbles so slowly under my tennis shoes. It's always a little bit dark back there. 
The trees are far too dense to allow much light through except the occasional speckles of sun that light up the forest floor like little stars. I remember the evergreen grove where my siblings and I would take bits of loose wood from the ground, usually riddled with beetles and falling apart in our hands, and we would build a throne. It was my throne, because I was the oldest sister, and my big brother wanted to be a knight, so I got to be the empress of the forest. But when school came, the forest had to take the back seat while we spent our precious daylight hours at school and doing homework. With every year that passed, we got a little older, and eventually we quit visiting our little forest kingdom. These days, the blackberry bushes have grown so thick that I don't even know if I could manage to get back there anymore. My throne has probably collapsed entirely, the wood just soil. But sometimes I think that that little kingdom is still there, just waiting for us to come back. A little piece from Kendra Hanna, one of our assistant producers, about nostalgia and memory and change. It's been such a pleasure to be with you today, bringing you these tales from Antonio Sacre and Diane Ferlat and Dan Kedding and Stephanie Benetto. Join us again, won't you, on the Appleseed. And from all of us, happy Labor Day. I'm Sam Payne. Thanks for joining us for an hour of stories, music, and conversation made for you and your family and brought to you by the Appleseed. The show is a production of BYU Radio. We'll see you next time.